I'm Dan Abbotts. I'm an elder here at Philida Bible. I'm also on our preaching team, and but we're talking about minor prophets today. And uh, I want to do much like what uh, Ian McIntosh did in his sermon. I want to kind of, I want to set the table, as it were. I'm not going to go into a, a large history, but we still need to know some information as we jump into this book. We're going to be looking at Joel today. Um. And I do want to say, if you, if you missed Ian's sermon, I highly recommend going to flyta.org. Scroll down a little bit. There's going to be listen to a message. Click on that. He preached on February 26th, and the first half of his sermon is an amazing just setting up of the history and the time and what was going on uh, at the time. Some of these, uh, we call them minor prophets, but just means they're small books. Uh, some of these prophets were uh, speaking to Israel and to Judah. Um, so I'm not going to go, like I say, into all that detail. But I do want to put some place settings uh, on this table. Uh, first, we want to talk about what we know about Joel. We know Joel was a prophet, and we know his father's name was Pethuel. And that's what we got for sure. That's all we know about Joel. We don't see him in any other books, really. Um, we can, through just kind of a, a historical thing, he was a contemporary of Elisha the prophet. So at this point, the, the nation of Israel has split into two different kingdoms, and Joel is in the southern kingdom. Um, so the second thing I want us to look at before we jump in is this idea of mindset. What type of mindset do we have to have? Joel is a prophetic book, and it is written largely... It's not narrative, it's a poetic book. So it's written like poetry. And uh, Hebrew poetry is different from poetry that we may be used to uh, because it rhymes ideas rather than words, or uh, it's a very different meter kind of thing, so we, we have to look at it that way. Uh, were you to read the book on your own, which I do suggest, the the first and second chapters seem very similar in their concept and their ideas, and that's part of that poetry thing. So rather than just combining them and saying, okay, here's this, and it talks about this and that, we move on. We want to look at it because if something is repeated in the Bible, it is important. Something is repeated in the Bible, it is important. Now, I'm not saying I'm the Bible, I'm just making a point, right? The... Uh, it calls attention to it. If we see something show up again and again and again, you know, we want to be mindful of that. Um, and I would encourage you to read it. I found an audio version of Joel, and the guy that re was reading it was a little slow in reading it, but it took about 15 minutes. So um, because we're not going to be going through and reading the entire book, I would encourage you to do that. And lastly, I want us to hear... Hear Joel as the intended audience would have heard it. And that's what we're going to be looking at today are um, these three things that, these three provisions God has given in that. Uh, as a, for a show of hands, we're, we're going to get there, trust me. This is just how my mind works. How many people in here enjoy a good BBC nature documentary? I saw one hand shoot up. Oh, God, I'm so happy that I'm not the only one in the room who enjoys those things. Uh, I really do. I mean, I love, Cindy will tell you. 
It's like, hey, hon, do you want to watch something on Netflix? Hey, here's a documentary. And she's like, can we just watch something normal? <laughs> so, but there is a good one, Wild Africa, if you have not seen that. Thoroughly recommend it. Amazing. But there is, in one of the episodes that they have there, a section that they talk about locust. I don't know if many of you are familiar with locust. Imagine grasshopper-like things there. I'll say it that way. So I have some fun facts about locusts because in Joel, we hear about some locusts. So locust swarms can devastate crops and cause major agricultural damage and human misery, like starvation and famine. Fun fact. Desert locust plagues may threaten the economic livelihood of one-tenth of the world's humans. There are, what, seven, is it still seven billion? There's a lot of people, but one-tenth, one-tenth affected by this kind of stuff. To grasp the idea of how many there are, a swarm can be up to 460 square miles in size. 460 square miles in size. Let's break that down a little bit. They packed about 40 to 80 million locusts into less than half a square mile. 40 to 80 million locusts. Now, each locust can eat its weight in plants every day. Now, they don't weigh that much, but when you've got 40 to 80 million of these guys, a swarm of that size would eat approximately 423 million pounds of plants daily. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of food. That's a lot of green. And we hear in Joel chapter 1 of this locust swarm coming. And we're actually going to pick it up uh, in chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 6. It'll be on the screen. Um, there's also a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Feel free to grab that. Again, this is um, from the book of Joel. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way, they do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path, they burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city, they run upon the walls. They climb up into houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened, the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So this is a a description here of a judgment coming for Israel, for actually the southern kingdom, Judah. But God's people are not getting a a good word here. So today, like I said, I want to look at uh, three provisions given to us by God through Joel's prophecy. And the first one we're looking at is that God provides a warning. He provides a warning for us. And it wasn't that God was bored in heaven one day and said, you know what I'll do? I'm just going to send some locusts on Israel. It was a judgment because the people had rejected God. 
They had turned from him. They had started following their own desires. They had started following other gods. They had many, many other sins that were being judged in this. And as I was studying this, this book, um, there, there is much discussion among scholars regarding if this was an actual locust plague or if it was a description of an army coming in and destroying. The uh, general consensus is, though, that there, there probably was a locust swarm at one time that came through, but, and that's kind of chapter 1 touches on that. Chapter 2 is more prophetic of the uh, nation of what would have been Babylon coming in and taking the people. So it was a prophetic description of that. So, and we know those, uh, we know that exile did happen. The people were carried off at one point. The, the section that we just looked at ends with a very strong question. You hear that God commands this army, they do his bidding. Uh, it says, He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? This is not a, a light thing. A warning doesn't come a little more vivid than this. You've got a, a statement that judgment is coming from God. It will be big. It will leave nothing untouched. That's this idea. It will be complete in its execution. Before entering the promised land, uh, more back history here, the, uh, the leader Moses in Deuteronomy, lays out a choice for the Israelites to take. They can, on one hand, obey what God has to say, and this is a a way to life. Or they can disobey God, disregard what he has to say, and this is a choice of death and judgment and not good things, saying it very lightly. And looking at Israel's history going through, very quick snapshot here. Um, When they enter the promised land, God is their king. They don't have a a crowned monarch, but God takes them into the promised land. Joshua is their leader, and they take city after city after city, and they, they I don't want to say invade, that's not the right word. They uh, they come in, and they dwell in the promised land. Um. And then there's this period after Joshua, you have these uh, judges that show up, and there's this, um, there's a cycle that Israel goes through of disobedience, some repentance, deliverance, and then they have peace. And it just does that for a long time. But you have these judges. There's still no king. God is still their king. The, um, he meets with the people in the tabernacle. Um, that's, that's how their system is working, Right? And then, at one point, they get restless, and they say to uh, the prophet Samuel, we want a king. I won't go into that, but it's in Samuel. God acquiesces. He's like, okay, you you get a king. So you have Saul. And then there's another guy named David who um, Samuel anoints by God's direction. There's a whole lot of fighting. This is the briefest synopsis ever whole lot of fighting, some more sin, some more disobedience, some more turning from God. Then there's a civil war, the nation splits, and there isn't a godless king, for, but maybe one or two that happens. And this is where we find Joel coming in and saying, hey, 
you, you know, you've lived your lives how you've wanted, and now the day of the Lord, this is judgment is coming upon you. Locusts are coming in. They're, they're eating everything is the description. So as I'm reading this, I, and I, this happens anytime I read scripture, I go, man, I know I'm smarter than this. Like if I was there, and I don't know, maybe this is you too. If we were there, we'd do a good job, right? I mean, we'd, we'd have all this history. We'd know who God is. We wouldn't be disobedient. We wouldn't follow our own desires. We'd do what God says, right? What I, I, mm, I just don't think that, I mean, we see that Israel clearly didn't do a good job of listening to God. And I have to ask myself, do I do a good job of listening to God? Whether or not we follow Jesus, are we listening to what God would have to say to us? I want to give us a starting point for for everybody, where everybody starts off. It's out of Romans 1, 18. We're going to read a chunk here, so strap in. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, man, is without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There's a ton of meat in there. What I am wanting us to pull out is that we do have the ability to know of God through the beauty of his creation. We can look at it and we can say, this is design. Someone had a thought process in this and created. But popular opinion today is, that um, we're a lucky roll of the dice. That it just happened. A little later on in the chapter. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. They, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is where we start out. This is our nature. Since our, uh, since our ancestors, Adam and Eve, first rebelled and chose not God and to try and be God themselves, this is where every human starts. Um, 
when I was in charge of hiring people, if I had seen that resume, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, haughty, both. I'm not hiring this person. You know, this is not, this is not, this is not good at all. What I don't want us to hear in, in reading all this is that uh, there is uh, imminent impending doom that a, a swarm of locusts is going to come into the Philida area, wipe everything out. It's not what I want us to hear. What I want us to hear is that when we start out, when we are born, we are sinners. We are enemies of God. But he has given us a warning. He has said the day of the Lord is coming. It will be great. It will be dreadful, but it is coming. Kind of, I want to I link the first and second here. So we first see God provides this warning, and next we see that God provides a promise with this warning. Going back into Joel, chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, he has just gone through and talked about the judgment. Even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts, tear your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, the great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. My people shall never again be put to shame. God has given us a warning with promise. We, he, he calls us to turn back to him. Why does he call us to turn back to him? Is it because we've been bad? We've, we've disobeyed, we've been naughty? Is it because we need to be a better me, or that I need to be a better me, or you need to be a better you? Is it that? Is it that we're special? Why does he call us to turn back? It has nothing to do with you or I. There is nothing special in us that, that we should receive a promise from God like this. He says, return to the Lord your God. It has to do with him. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. He is good to us. He warns us, so that we would have opportunity to turn back to him. It's not, hey, it's coming. Wah! It's, hey, it's coming. You need to turn around. Uh, I love my daughter. I just want to put that out there right now. I love my daughter, and I haven't been a dad that long, but um, I, I see all types of lessons uh, just as she's getting older. Um, regarding me, regarding my relationship with God, regarding my relationship with others. She doesn't know any of this yet because I haven't sat down and said, hey, you're teaching me all these things, thanks. But 
Cindy and I still have to discipline her um, because she doesn't know what's going on, right? She's just doing her own thing. And this is, this is usually, I'll give you a small snapshot into the life at the Abbott's house every other day, which is bath day, is every other day. And this is usually the conversation that happens. We have house rules, I'll put it out there. Uh, so I say, Autumn, you know the house rules. You know what they are. You need to listen to mommy and daddy. That's a house rule. And right now you have a choice to make. You can either disobey and not listen to mommy and daddy. We'll take away story time. Then you'll pick up your toys and we'll get a bath. Or you can obey mommy and daddy, pick up your toys, get a bath, and get story time. So the... (laughs) I'll let you in on that, not because I don't like taking story time away from my daughter. She loves books. She loves reading with both Cindy and I. I enjoy reading with my daughter. But much like me, she is a disobedient jerk sometimes. (laughs) Go fig. But the, the discipline has to be there. The promise is that, hey, if you are obedient, we will keep this thing that you love, this relationship that we have will be good. If you disobey, there will be discord and disharmony and lots of crying, and Autumn will cry too. (laughs) But my heart is not that she would disobey. It was that she would obey and I could relent from sending disaster. Look at God. In this, God is not waiting or wanting Israel to do bad. So you can go, yes, locusts, none of that. That's not what he's doing. He is giving them warning so that they can turn around. Um, Joel does have more to say to Israel in this blessing. And before we read that section, a question I want to pose to you guys is this. What do Moses, Joshua, The judges, Saul, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, and Ezekiel all have in common. I don't know if that's true or not. I wasn't expecting anybody to answer. That's awesome. Thank you. It's this. The Spirit of God was empowering them to lead, to do what they did, to do the great things they did. Uh, It was men and women doing great things in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read this. Joel 2, 28. And it shall come to pass afterwards, after this blessing has happened, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I shall show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall turn to darkness, the moon to blood, before a great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Did you hear that crazy promise that God gave? 
for an Israelite listening to this. This is insane. That, that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh. He didn't just say that group of people or this person on all flesh. Sons, daughters, the old, the young, male, female, slave, and free. Up to this point, they've only known certain individuals or certain groups of people to have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And speaking candidly, I think on this side of the cross of Christ, Christians take it for granted that that type of awesome blessing, my head hurts thinking about it, that when you receive Christ and are baptized in his name, the Holy Spirit is with you. God himself is with you. It's insane. And these people, these, these Israelites, I can only imagine the first time they heard it, there was an audible gasp in the room like, wait, what did he say? Maybe a guy was being incredulous, you know, just struck. And so I'm, I'm sorry, Joel. I, uh, I, I may have misheard you. <laughs> it sounded like you said the Lord was going to pour out his spirit on everyone. <laughs> Would you mind repeating yourself? Because that can't be true. There's no way that that can happen. That has happened. In Acts 2, this is after uh, Jesus has died, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. Uh, before that time, he had told the disciples, hey, hang out, and this is Dan Abbott's paraphrase, hey, hang out in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it's in a mighty and powerful way. The disciples are speaking in tongues so that people, other people of other nations are hearing them and understanding what the gospel is and all these things. People are calling them drunk and crazy. And Peter stands up in that turmoil and he quotes this Joel passage that we just read, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you know, all of that. And he quotes uh, a section in Psalms as well. And he says, I'm probably going to skip a bit of this, but, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and in his tomb to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would, use, uh, would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, the anointed one, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This, day, uh, this Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he says to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we... And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone 
whom the Lord calls to himself. The promise that God gave through the prophet Joel was fulfilled that day on Pentecost. 3,000 people on that day were saved. The Holy Spirit has come down and does indwell everyone who repents and is baptized in the name of Jesus, fully trusting in his work. And for the people of Joel's day, they didn't see this, but it was unimaginable. The closest thing they would have heard about is from Numbers when the, uh, when the Israelites were just wandering in the wilderness for 40 years as a punishment. And the Spirit is poured out on not only Moses, but 70 elders. Uh, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been as from Numbers. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Like they are prophesying. They are speaking the words of God because the Spirit is in them. And I love Moses' reply to this, because at this point, Moses has been the mouthpiece. He is, thus says the Lord, right, when Moses speaks. That's what's going on here. And Moses says to him, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses is up there in the pantheon of leaders, for what, how God used him. And to hear him say, I would that everybody had the Spirit of God. This is amazing. And we see his wish there when he says, I wish that the Lord's people were all prophets and that the Lord's Spirit was on them. We see that happening at Pentecost. God keeps his promise. In Joel, we see God first providing a warning, second, a promise, and third, we see uh, him providing a hope. He provides a hope. This, this hope is another day of the Lord. And it, that phrase pops up three or four times in Joel that you know a day of the Lord happened when the locusts showed up, a day of the Lord happened when the spirits poured out, and a day of the Lord will come. So these days of the Lord are, are when God acts. That is a day of the Lord. So in this one, it is a future event that does not appear to have happened yet because we're all sitting here. Uh, this speaks of all of Israel being drawn back into the promised land and God sitting in judgment of all the nations in what's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And he is in judgment, he is delivering verdicts of mercy and of justice. And he says, so that you... Uh, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountain shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah will, shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness. For the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be uh, inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. This hope that is given to Israel, to the Israelites, belongs to those who have accepted Christ and the work that he has done. We see it in 
not only Joel, but then if you look to the book of John's Revelation, you see a day of judgment as well. I know last week uh, Pastor Scott preached on a um, a parable. Well, that wasn't a parable. It was uh, Jesus was talking about how on the last day when God judges, he will se- separate people like uh, a shepherd separates sheep and goats. So there's this judgment happening. It's that that is what we are looking for. That is our hope. And it sounds weird to say that. How is this the provision of hope if we hear about God's judgment? I think we always hear judgment in a negative way. It's, it's his, him proclaiming what, what should be done to those he shows mercy and to those who have not accepted his mercy, the justice they deserve. And I'm not meaning that in a negative way, but we all deserve hell. And that is the justice that is given to those. The hope we have is that one day God will make all things right. We live in a very broken world. I don't Just turn on the news for five minutes. And not near the end because that's when they show the puppies. But <laughs> turn it on. It is, it, is a, it is a broken world where bad things happen every day. That we, most of it we don't even hear. And this hope that we have is that one day God will make everything right. It's an encouragement to us when we feel lost, that there's no one in control. We need to encourage each other that God is in control. He does have a plan. There is the day of the Lord. There will be a day when Jesus comes back to gather his own. So rather than this sounding like a book report on the, on the book of Joel out of the Bible, we need to ask ourselves this question. So what? It's fantastic. Um, God gives us warning, a promise, and a hope, but what good does that do for us? Well, my prayer this week has been that as we hear it, we hear it in the stage in which we are at in our lives. Where, where is God moving? Uh, I don't know everybody here. I don't know where everybody is at. But at some point, my prayer was that the Holy Spirit would shake your cage of a life, would tap you on the shoulder, knock you upside the head, do something to get your attention, to hear this warning. A day of the Lord is coming. It is coming. What are you going to do about that? Are you taking heed of that? Are we ignoring it? What's our response there? We have a promise from God. He will judge the world. And like I said, it hasn't happened yet because we're all sitting here, but it will one day. And I know I have had people ask me, well, what's, why is he taking this? If he's going to do it, why doesn't he just come and do it? Second Peter 3.9. This is a hope for literally everyone. Second Peter 3.9. Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God isn't slow, he's patient. And that is a very good thing. Just like I do not want to give punishment to my daughter, I want her to make a good choice, there's still that cutoff point, like you've had your chance. This is... We're in a patient period with God right now. I pray that we take there, take that. Um, 
What Peter said in Acts 2 was true and powerful then and is true and powerful now. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the promise given to us by God. I hope you are hearing that today. I want you to be in God's family. I want you to experience his forgiveness. I know a lot of other people here are praying for that as well. Have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? Last one, we do have a hope. Christ will return. He will right every wrong. He will wipe every tear from eyes that are weeping. He will make all things new. The hope that it will be restored as it was created. If you are a follower of Christ, are you sharing that hope with other people? With people who are wandering and who just see darkness? That's all, that's all life is. Are you sharing that hope that it will be made better And it will be God who does that work. Let's pray. Father God, you are awesome. You are holy. You are indescribable in your love towards us. I I can't fathom it. So Father, that you would pour out the Holy Spirit on us, that he would indwell us, that he would guide our steps is amazing. I pray that you would help us if we are in Christ, that we would live out of that, that we would rely on you daily. Father, if this message was the warning for some, I pray that it would wake them up, that it would stir in them something that that has just been lying dormant, that they would turn to you, that they would repent Father, I pray for this hope that we have. I pray that you would help us share it, that uh, others would see that we do have hope in you. It's not blind faith, Father. So I ask that you would work mightily uh, in our community, at our places of work, and in our lives, Father. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.